0: Hi,
1: welcome to Back to Excited, episode 166. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman.
2: Hi, everybody. How you doing, Hmm, Not too bad. I'm relieved that the Leafs did not utterly embarrass themselves in the end last night uh, yes. after opportunities to do so. But yeah, God knows they, we have a guest.
1: Yeah, God knows they take those opportunities often enough, and it would have put a bit of a damper on today's episode. As Fulham mentions, we have a guest, um, our boss at Pension Time Puppets, so we're on our best behavior today, um, Katya. How are you doing, Katya?
0: I'm great. I can't wait to see what your best behavior is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not much better than our worst, I can assure you of that. Um, so today, we are about halfway through the regular season, um, not in terms of not in terms of time passed, but in terms of games played. Uh, obviously, we had the the long delay this, um, this winter, and hopefully there won't be many slash any more of those. But the Leafs have played um, pretty much exactly half their games, and we figured it would be a good time to do some midseason grades. Uh, we are going to focus on the forwards today uh, because we don't want to be here for four and a half hours. And we also want to be happy in talking about the defense. Well, maybe... You know, work against that slightly, but we're basically going to talk about um, the Leafs' top 13 forwards, and we might as well just get right into it. Uh, Fuleman,
2: take us away. All right, so we all gave these players letter grades. Uh, My rough standard was B, was you met the expectations I had. I agree, that's subjective. Um, We all sort of graded differently, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but I thought I would introduce each of these players with a little bit of a stat profile. This is just stuff that stood out to me as being kind of telling about how the player is doing. So, starting from the top, Austin Matthews. He's played 37 games, he has 25 goals, 20 assists, and 45 points. He has an outstanding expected goals percentage, which, as y'all listeners know out there, is something we care about in Nerdland. Uh, he's tied for fifth in the league in individual expected goals per 60. That means that he's generating a lot of chances. His career isolates on HockeyViz show him as a decent defensive center and a just insane offensive force, as well as a great shooter. Um, this season, the Leafs basically play like champions when he's on the ice. They play at the level of a very, very good team, of a team that I wish they were on a more regular basis. Um, but he's great at even strength. He's great on the power play. Um, he's tied for fifth in road takeaways league wide for whatever that's worth. And a lot of people kind of just roll their eyes at giveaways and takeaways for understandable reasons. But I think it is part of his game that he gets the puck and then he keeps the puck as long as he wants to. And then he shoots it very dangerously. Katya, what did you give our Lord and savior, Austin Matthews?
0: (laughs) Oh, he gets an A plus. Like I have no complaints about anything he's done. I, I, I think I somewhat controversially did not like him last season all that much. I thought the points were obscuring a, a a sort of intermittent weakness in his game. He would play games where he didn't have the puck. That seems to be gone. And he just, he's in every game. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. Dun, dun, dun. In the playoffs. So let's see him do it in the playoffs. And then he gets whatever's better than an A+. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that, Arvin.
2: What do you think?
1: I'm I'm going full, I guess, like Toronto, uh, you know, looking gift horses in the mouth, media uh, personality here. I gave him an A minus, and I guess I should preface this by saying that like Austin Matthews has had in by basically all respects a really, really, really strong year. Um, you know, to, beyond all the stats you mentioned, Fullman, he is 12th in the league in goals above replacement. He's second in the league in expected goals above replacement. He has a 63% expected goals for a percentage, which is insane, right? Like we, we've talked for years and years and years on this podcast about like how scared we are of, of those lines that have like 60% expected goals. For percentage. It just feels like you're, you're trying to swim up a waterfall, mm-hmm. right? When you face that. Well, that's what most teams have probably felt like to some extent in terms of chance quality when they're playing Matthews this year. Um, you know, I I said in my notes he looks as dangerous as any player not named Connor or Kale, right now, uh, and I expect him to keep that up the rest of the way. Like I don't think this is him playing hot. Um, but and of course, the <laughs> the but is the is the huge, uh, I guess, elephant in in this in the grade here. There's two things that kind of drag him down a little bit for me, and the first is that um, you know you mentioned he's thought of and is for his career a phenomenal shooter one of the best shooters in the league he shot three goals under expected this year and that's essentially the totality of the leafs um, on ice shooting under performance when he's on the ice if you look at so i mentioned before that he's like 12th in gar and like second in x gar the reason his gar is lower than his x gar is because the leafs have not converted shots into goals as well as they should quote unquote should and as much as we would expect them to when he's on the ice and that doesn't mean that he's a bad shooter now and the most plausible explanation is he there's some part of it that's like recovering from the wrist injury there's some part of it that's just plain old variance and going forward you know we can still expect him to be a plus plus shooter but we're also paying austin matthews in large part and because he is a plus plus shooter and he hasn't been that over the course of this half season right and when he loses that shooting ability, when his shooting ability is only like average or like slightly below average as it's been here in the first half of the season, he goes from like MVP candidate to all-star candidate, by which I mean NHL post-season all-star, not all-star team. Um, so that drags him down slightly because like relative to our expectations, we need him to be an MVP candidate basically year in and year out, right? So the, the lack of shooting success is really the only thing. That drags him down slightly for me, but it's not something I would expect to see going forward. Like he's had absurdly hot stretches, and right now he just happens to be going actually through a bit of a cold stretch. So that that's that's my my my. This is the closest to the Stephen A. Smith that I can get. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Is yeah. What I you saying Yeah. I I think that argument is valid if you're talking about Stephen Stamkos. I mm-hmm. think if you, t- in other words, if you're talking about a guy who's much more tilted towards his shot ability and nothing else right i i just happened to be i was actually going to look at defenseman today to make myself cry um (laughs) i looked at evolving hockey's rapm
2: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, xg plus minus there's some acronyms um which i kind of like to look at to see like how is this person like in themselves in a numbers way austin matthews is number two in the nhl for forwards (laughs) <laughs> and so you know I'm okay with that. Behind Arturi Leccan and all people actually, Patrice Bergeron is third. So what a bum. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like maybe by the time he's forty, he'll drop to fifth. Um, <laughs> but so no, I I like I I just think it's variance. I'm I'm totally yeah, cool no, with I think it's variance.
1: I I agree. Like it's it seems unlikely that unless you really are terrified of like that wrist injury. It seems unlikely that someone who's been an elite shooter for, like, five years in a row is suddenly now a below-average shooter, right? Like, our, our our the null hypothesis should not be that Matthews' shooting quality has gone way down.
2: You know, I do feel a little bit like the difference between my grade and Arvin's grade, and I gave him an A+. Plus, uh reflects the programs we majored in, because in math, they actually make you do stuff, and they hold you to high standards. And I majored in English, where you get, like, an A for just having feelings. So, anyway, I think he's just swell. I'm so glad that he is on the team and that we can build a first line around him. That is good. I do think that he's as good a puck possession player as I can remember. Like, think of peak Yarmor Jager, where it was just very, very hard to get the puck off him. Like, Austin Matthews now, when a four checker comes at him on their own, is like, yeah, I can... I'm not even really concerned about that. Like, I don't have to adjust my plans based on this player coming at me, and uh, it's something to behold. So yeah. Anyway, I give him an A plus, and I get where our, what Arvin's coming from. You know, you can't bake in shooting to his value and say it's fine if his shooting is not great. But uh, yeah, I do also think it's variance. As, as mm-hmm. No, say, I,
1: I think so. I think we all kind of agree that yeah. going forward we would expect him to be a goals greater than X goals person. Yeah. Right, and it also, I guess, it depends to some extent how much you view grades as being, like, what you ha- what have you done for me versus mm-hmm. who are you? And this is a distinction that, like, I think... I feel like I think about that distinction more because of Katya, because she's mentioned it a couple times in, like, Slack mm-hmm. and whatnot over the years. Um, oh,
0: God, never listen to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, it's... M- my dinging of him is based on what he has done and definitely not who he is. Like, who he is, like, we... The, it, it, we talk about this a fair bit on the pod but it really can't be overstated how much of i guess quite literally and figuratively a lottery the Leafs won in getting being able to
2: pick Austin Matthews. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. Never so, going to forget that day.
2: Yes. That was also and I've probably mentioned this before but I'd like to keep bringing it up the first day that I wrote for the site was the day that we won the draft lottery. So I'm not saying I'm responsible per se. <laughs> But <laughs> clearly some of the credit has to come to me. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Austin Matthews, yeah, I, I think Arvin raises a valid point, but consensus is pretty happy. Let's move on to another equally happy and uncontroversial topic, Mitch Marner. <laughs> um, he has 11 goals uh, and 19 assists in, and 30 points in 31 games, so he's still producing, um, it's worth noting even if he did slump a little bit to start the year. I'm not going to mention his cap hit again. You probably are thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> he has very good on-ice numbers this season, despite an early scoring slump. Uh, I should probably clarify what the distinction is there. On-ice is what happened when you were on. Isolates are people like Micah McCurdy, in this case, um, trying to apply a regression to say, okay, this is what this player's actual ability level is. Good things have been happening when Nishmarner Marner was on the ice sometimes isolated stats have had a hard time i think deciding how much credit he deserves for that and i think a lot of analysts have struggled with that too um the power play looks good with him on again this year which is nice uh catch your thoughts
0: well i gave marner a b minus um basically he his his job is supposed to be the number two guy on the team And I don't think he is the number two guy on the team this year. Uh, He's had some strong games lately. I don't think he's had a strong season. So he's left with, like, he's, he's fun on the PK. That's like his number one achievement. His power play performance has been a little dulled. Not awful, obviously, but a little bit dulled. He's had some goals there lately, which is nice to see. His personal shooting is very ordinary, and no, he should not shoot more, because <laughs> he's just ordinary at it. He's not bad. He's just ordinary. So to me, he's just an okay Mitch Marner so far this year. He's, he's, he's like not the problem because of his play. He is, however, the answer to every question that begins, why the hell is Sheldon Keefe doing such and such. Why is he mangling the lines? Why is he playing those two guys together? Why is he doing whatever he's doing on the defense? And the answer is because Mitch Marner is essentially taking up two roster spots with that cap hit we don't want to talk about. Mitch Marner is two really good top six wingers. He's a fabulous defenseman and an, and another Andre Cash. He's 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 two really good defensemen. You can like chop Mitch Martyr up into all kinds of configurations, and the end result, I believe, is a better team. So given that, he better really cook when he hasn't been. That's my thoughts.
1: Yeah, I I want one of the things that you mentioned there that kind of jumped out to me is like the power play stuff, was a time, and I was probably more guilty of this than a lot of people, where, you know, in the in the Hiller power play era where Marner was uh, the linchpin of that unit with uh, JVR, with Kadri, with Bozak, that was just destroying people, that I thought, like, Mitch Marner, him alone, and just, like, reasonable shooters, reasonable players around him, constructed properly, can be a top five power play in the world. And that might not still be wrong, but it's been shown to be that mitch marner is more his skills are narrow enough that you really have to be careful about how you build a power play around him and how you build lines at even strength around him and it's a sort of unique type of player because he's so clearly very good but he has kind of of the elite players in the league, maybe some of the more glaring um, weaknesses and most, he might be one of the more peculiar players to like build around uh, in the league. And and to, to that extent, it kind of diminishes how versatile he can be, right? The least power play this year has been really awesome. And Marner has been a part of that and he deserves credit for that. But a large part of it was like kind of dulling how much of the power play run through Mitch Marner specifically. Now it's a very movement based power play that results in a lot of confusion among defenses, that exploits behind the net more, that doesn't have as set positions for its players. And Marner succeeded in that, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a sort of power play where it has to think quite hard about how to really take advantage of Marner's talents. And you, I think this kind of struck me in particular when we were talking about Tampa last week, because you have Stamkos and Kucherov, and those are talents on the power play that you don't have to think very hard about how to use at all. It is like the dumbest thing you can think of will be very good with those guys. And I think that sums up the Mitch Marner experience. He's incredibly good. He elevates like, the top-end players. Um, and like, e- even this year, the lines with Matthews and Marner are the best lines the Leafs can throw out at any point. Right, and there is a step down when you replace um, Marner with Nylander or a small one, and then a slightly larger one if you replace Marner with Kasha. But it's not so much of a step down that it feels like he's, you know, worth the contract, right? And that's what it always comes back to. Um, so, yeah, like it's, it's, it's a very int- he's such an interesting and odd player in that sense, and it, it says something again to that versatility that when we do this, okay, let's split up the, big, uh, the, the top four forwards, there's never any discussion over whether Mitch Marner is the one who doesn't have a star center attached to him. He always does, and part of that is to his credit because he really elevates um, players even beyond what, the, what star centers can do with ordinary-ish wingers. But it's also a failing because I don't think he would do as well driving a third line as William Nylander does. And, and I think, Katu, to your point, like, he has to be number two with a bullet based on the expectations of him. And he hasn't been as much this year. He's still very, very good, but it's a really high bar. Um, so I gave him a C plus for that reason.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that Marner, as much as anything, shows how much your expectations govern what you're going to give him. This of obviously, every player. But in Marner's case, if your expert expectations excuse me, are determined from the cap hit, which is not unreasonable in a league with a salary cap, it has to be said. He's not at that level. He's not at a level where you're happy paying him that amount of money because, as Arvin said, Austin Matthews we can put out with two guys and we can get a very strong line. William Nylander we can put out with two guys and get at least a decent middle six line. John Tavares was famous for in his prime, elevating pretty much any two random people that the New York Islanders found at the YMCA and getting them 30 goals as well as a subsequent contract in Buffalo that they never live up to. But you talk about those three players who do or have done those things. And then Mitch Marner, I mean, you can say early on, he worked really well with JVR and Bozak, both of whom I think were kind of underrated offensive players in Toronto um, because they were associated with a certain amount of failure. But he's not elevating lines by himself; he's just not dictating um, the game that, to the extent that we wish that he would. He's a now, great complimentary player.
0: No, I but, can, it, the mm-hmm. Bozak and JVR thing is funny because at that time they also played almost exactly half their minutes with Connor Brown, and I believe their stats were almost identical. With both yeah, great it, wings.
1: It, it was it was like one of those weird uh, player trios that just, like, really, really worked. Marner got moved up for whatever reason. Maybe it was an injury. And, yeah, JVR, Bozak, Brown was, like, a 56% XG team for a while. It was – or line for a while. It was it was weird.
0: I think that might have been coaching magic, I hate to say it. I know you're not yeah. – we, do, we don't like to think of Mike Babcock as having that, but I think he did. Um, and Marner was younger then, of course, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know – I've watched him in a few games lately and I've watched, just watched what he does, the things that people find really exciting and enjoy watching, and, and I'm starting to think of him as, and I don't want to become one of those people, he's being too fancy, but he's an unnecessary flourish. He's gilding a lily that doesn't need to be gilded. That's, that's kind of how I feel about him. He, Austin Matthews doesn't need mitch marner and his flourishes and his gilding and yet you can't play mitch marner with david camp and prosper so uh, yeah i don't know that's kind of where i feel about him i I feel like he's the he's the he's the center of everything that's frustrating about the leafs it all comes back to him one way or another
1: and it does obscure the fact that like he is a bonkers good player at times, right? Like, there, there is... That that pass he had to Bunting yesterday for Bunting's third goal was, like, not a pass a lot of players in the league can make. Right? And not even a position that a lot of players in the league can get to because he had to wade through three Red Wings and have the poise and the, the calm to keep the puck in that and not just say, okay, I'm pretty, uh, pretty pressured here. Let me just throw away a shot. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's... Those are the types of plays that are very, very hard to do. And those are like the flourishes that, that do add something to a team. Like to, to, to that point, it, Matthews, Marner, Bunting has been like a 66% XG line. And a, a little bit of that is elevated because um, there's times where in games even where we play Matthews, Bunting, Kasha, that Marner will come out for like an offensive zone faceoff and, and things like that. Uh, but that's, that's really, really good when you replace um, Marner with Kasha, it's still a really good line though. It's like still a 60% line, right? <laughs> so that, that's exactly Katya's point, right? Like it's, it's that little flourish above the top, which is helpful in like taking a line from 60 to 66% XG, even if there's some you know, elevation there that isn't, that's due to circumstance more than just adding Marner. Um, that's really hard to do, right? Like, there's kind of a law of diminishing returns. A team can only be so dominant. Um, and Marner is like maybe one of the best players in the world at taking great lines and making them super great lines. But he's definitely a lot less um, useful than some other players at making a okay line viable by himself. And they're different skill sets, but it seems like in a lot of situations, we might, we we've paid quite a bit for making great lines better and it's, unclear whether that would have been you know better spent on uh, on on players that make okay lines
2: viable i think that the big takeaway there is either mitch marner should be very dominant on his own to be worth the money or he should elevate one of those very good lines to something unanswerable like I could see paying a complimentary player at a very, very high rate if it's like, okay, yeah, we're paying a ton for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. But when we put them out there, there's no one in the league that can do anything about it. Like we have one of those weapons that people talk about in terms of, say, Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak. And the Leafs have touched those heights, but unfortunately the playoffs loom over everything Yeah, when people are thinking of them not doing that. Well, and it, I'm.
1: Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak have had cold playoff series as well, but like the thing is, they've also had absurdly hot ones where they've won it for the Bruins on their own, and mm-hmm. I think that's that that absence of like a defining playoff memory of like this line carried us to a win against so and so. Hurts, um. Hurt, like I guess hurts the, the the PR of that line in 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 Leafs fans' minds,
2: right? Yeah, I definitely think that that colors a lot of this commentary, at least on my part. You know, I think also the objections that have been made here are are valid, right? He he does take up a certain amount of money, and he does limit your choices. And a lot of the lineup decisions, I think, are absolutely traced back to, okay, we have this player who makes this much, and we have a bunch of cheap options that we're going to move around around him. That said, I gave him a B. Um maybe I felt sorry for him or I felt bad <laughs> because of mean things that I've thought. Um, I'm trying to, you know, keep my perspective and say, okay, but he is still very good. He's very skilled. He's been kind of feeling it lately. You know, we talk about... Um, Miss Warner sometimes has a way of getting two assists and being invisible all night. And so I think he's been standing out visually. Now, after I wrote this, Katcha made her point about his... <laughs> Pension for unnecessary flourishes, so I'm thinking I might have been suckered in by that. But um, (laughs) or maybe I'm wrong. Uh, But yeah, no, I mean I get it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. He
0: like he's not artemi Panera. He's not. Mm -hmm. He wants to be. Like I believe in his heart of hearts. He Mitch Marner believes Mitch Marner can be better than artemi Panera. I believe which that is, Mitch Marner
1: believes Mitch Marner is better than Artemi Panarin.
0: Which might be a problem but it, it, I mean it is to his credit that you're going to get 125% of his attention and ability in every game. You can't complain mm-hmm. about that. Uh, but he's not. And he, I don't think he's ever going to be. And like I don't just uh, Just play him with Tavares for the rest of the year and probably we'd all like him better. <laughs>
1: as a sign, it's weird to me it's possible Panarin is just like declined somewhat but like it's weird to me that he had that like bonkers first year in New York where he was like driving everything good for them and then New York has had like terrible fancy stats with him on since and like i don't know maybe maybe he's just gotten way worse but that feels unlikely basically i don't know what's going on with New York is what i'm what i'm saying there like it's it's weird that i i i think Panarin's like a you know one of the three best wingers in the world even now, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least, like, I don't know. He he was in that stratosphere very recently. It's, it'd be odd to me if he went from insane play driver for his entire career to like terrible play driver in New York. That 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 feels weird to me. Um, they split him with
2: Zibi, didn't they? I, I not to know. go off on a long yeah. Rangers tangent, but I think that might have been a factor. Anyway, uh, we've we've surveyed Mitch Marner as best we can. Oh, sorry, He's I just been want, dis- want to add yep, one more go thing
1: ahead. before. Um, mm-hmm. Marner does have actually a lot of value on this team specifically as a defensive winger on a team that Mm -hmm. really doesn't have that many defensive wingers. Um, So, like, that does deserve mention um, as a trait of his, which is, like, unambiguously positive. It's uh, – his defensive ability is definitely quite helpful and makes sense. We'll talk about this when we talk about Tavares, but given his defensive frailties, pairing Marner with him actually makes a fair bit of sense to me.
2: Okay, so uh, we'll move on to William Nylander. Um, 40 games played, 17 goals, 23 assists, 40 points, number one in our hearts. He's threatening 30 goals and 80 points, which is awfully nice. His uh, on-ice offensive stats for the year are absurd. Um, Just like a basic wowie suggests that he's doing a lot to help keep John Tavares young. Um, Tavares seems to suffer when they're split up a little bit. Um, I think that a lot of people would say he's having a coming out party. Katya, what do you have to say about him?
0: I gave him an A. Um, I, I, I gave him an A, not an A plus because he's still a bit sloppy and casual away from the puck. And, and like, that's just who he is. He's, he's, he's never going to be like Mr. Mr. 100%. He's, he's just, like, he's going to have some moments where he just, like, goes away on the ice. And and I think you just have to live with that. So he doesn't quite get an A+, but I think he's absolutely been fantastic this year in all situations. The Leafs' power play is as good as it is because they made it blonder, frankly. <laughs> and that's, like, that's my answer to the power play. And And he's just, like, he's great. He should be in the All-Star game. It's an outrage he's not. I'm outraged. This is my outrage. (laughs) I
1: I think you made a great point with the... he's always going to be kind of a little bit casual away from the puck. And there was actually an example of this yesterday, and it worked out for the Leafs. This was, I believe, in the third period. um, He was at the left point because Sheldon Keefe's system occasionally calls for William Nylander at the left point. Um, I think he, he popped out high. And then was pressured by, by Dylan Larkin. And one of the things that I definitely would not want to change about Nienander is the confidence he has with the puck. Because in a lot of cases, it's th- that confidence allows him to try things that work and produce shots and goals for the least. But in this case, he w- tried to basically like, stick handle away from, from Larkin. And uh, Larkin more or less like took it from him. So now Larkin has the puck. Nielander's still in an okay position, he's still in front of Larkin, but he's going to skate backwards and Larkin's going to skate forward, we know Larkin's fast, that, that's not a great thing. So like, the conservative thing to do is Nielander backs up, gives, like, recognizes, okay, you know, I, I tried to make a play, it didn't quite work, I'm in an okay position, I'm going to rescue what I have here. And, but William Nielander doesn't do that, he does the lazy, ah, I think I can still get this back, uh, and he like, swipes at the puck with his stick. And he gets it, right? So he gets it and, you know, no harm done. But if he doesn't get it, he's, like, put himself in position where he's now swiping at the puck with Larkin now level with him. If he doesn't get it, Larkin's gone. It's, like, basically either a two-on-one or breakaway. And those are the types of decisions that William Nylander will make because he backs himself to get the puck at times when he probably shouldn't and probably should be smarter. And he's also, the he's, like, risk-seeking in the sense of, I'm pretty sure the thought in his mind is like, man, if I steal this, I have a really good offensive opportunity here, right? And that's just who he is, right? It it results in strong takeaways sometimes. There's a reason he leads the league in breakaways. He's opportunistic about seeing when he can get those high-value opportunities. But, yeah, it'll sometimes bite us. And I think that's a a very concrete example of exactly what what you mentioned there, Katya. Um, I gave him an A-minus. So a slightly lower on him than than Katya, but like I think largely we agree with him. Uh, his lines have had a little bit of play-driving trouble away from Matthews and Bunting. The Kerfoot-Taveras knee line has struggled a tiny bit recently. Um, and as always, the goal impact has kind of lagged behind the shot and the xG impact. It's happened like six years in a row. I'm just kind of exp- I don't know why it happens, but it just does. So I'm I'm not like surprised at it anymore. Um, the power play production is really like the big value above the expected in terms of what you know you come into the year expecting of Nylander. Um, I, I agree that the, the Leafs power play is much better because they are using Nylander more. They're using him in a variety of positions. His versatility, you know, in, in contrast to Marner, um, makes him very an adaptable piece to put almost anywhere on the power play because he's just very good at basically everything uh, in an offensive sense. So. You know, in a movement-based power play, almost whatever situation Nylander finds himself in, he can make positive value plays out of those positions. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with his, his year this year at 5-on-5. Five five, he's been what he's always been, which is a very good player, and the power play production is awesome.
2: I know that analogies between sports and war are terrible and strained and usually dumb, but I'm going to indulge in one here. There's a line about Ulysses S. Grant that was, he was always thinking more about what he was going to do to the enemy than what the enemy might do to him. I think that that is how William Nylander lives his life. To riff on what Arvin was getting at, he's always got an eye for offensive opportunities. And as a result, he's one of the most well-rounded offensive players, I think, that I've seen in the Leafs uniform. He's not really the best at any one thing, except maybe transitioning the puck. But... He's very good at a lot of things, and so he's dangerous in a lot of situations. He works well with a lot of players, and we've already mentioned it seems more plausible to shuffle him to different lines up and down the lineup than Mitch Marner, who has to be grown in a specific environment with you know, light and soil. So I think that Nylander has established probably once and for all that he is that kind of uh, Swedish army knife in terms of offensive <laughs> versatility and just how dangerous he can be at so many things. Um, yeah, and I've sort of just accepted that will outweigh the occasional dubious decision-making with an eye to your own net. So I gave him an A. Um, this podcast has a well-known William Nylander bias and I'm proud to participate in that
0: again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's a valid analogy. My, my analogy after listening to Arvind is sort of this. Um, are we maybe thinking William Nylander is a guy who has lived a life where he's gotten things with very minimal effort on his part? And he kind of likes it like that? Because that's how he kind of plays the game, too. He just, the game just happens. He's having fun. He's going to do the good things he's good at. And, you know, considering how good he is at a very many, large number of things, that's fine.
2: Just born under a blessed star. Yeah, I I think there might be some truth to that, actually. And it's also, he seems kind of resistant to the misery that the Toronto media environment can sometimes inflict on players. Because I honestly just don't think he cares. No. I just, uh, you know, it it does not matter to him at all. He just thinks about how he likes things that makes him happy and good for him. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, no, I think that the, there's some truth in that. Um, any parting thoughts, Arvind, on this one? Um,
1: not in particular. I, he had a kind of weak game against Detroit, I thought. Um, but, you know, that's one game, and he, he's been consistently very strong through the year. So it's not
2: something I'm, I'm
1: stressed out about.
2: Yeah, fair enough. He, he probably could have had an argument for the Leafs MVP maybe 15, 20 games in. Mm-hmm. And he's cooled off a little bit, but having a good year. Um, moving forward to our captain, Mr. Pajamas, Jonathan Tavares. Actually, no, his name isn't Jonathan. It's just John. Uh, he's played 39 games, 17 goals, 23 assists, 40 points. So he's still right at that rock-steady point-per-game rate.
1: Seldo's going to get mad at you for referring to him as Pajama Boy, not Bedsheet Boy. He's, very, he's a stickler about the accuracy there. It was his bedsheets that were lease related, not his pajamas.
2: I think pajamas is a more fun word. No, it, I, I actually sympathize with the Islanders. There.
1: That's the entire reason it's it stuck on. Like, you, despite the alliteration of bedsheet boy, pajama boy just sounds like more derisive somehow.
2: It sounds like a six-year-old superhero. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, pajama boy is second on the team in points per 60 at 5v5 um, behind one of his line mates. And it's probably not the one that you would immediately think. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't show quite as well defensively as the other big Leafs forwards. Um, I don't think Tavares was ever quite known for his defense, but he was sort of reliable in terms of, he's a a player who just tries to play the game, uh, the right way, uh, to use the most hackneyed expression of all time. I mean that he generally tries to do a good job in all facets of it. And some of the defensive aspects have been a little concerning. Um, Kasia, what do you think?
0: little down on Tavares this year just a bit um he's I I gave him a beat he's the first thing is his personal shooting in terms of where he's shooting from how much that kind of thing is fantastic uh better than last year and he got to figure last year he was able to like play against some pretty terrible teams night after night so that's great he's he's just like really there in a way he maybe hasn't been in the last couple of years. But like his line is just getting caved in against the, it, the good teams in particular in ways that are very alarming. So maybe I'm blaming him a little for the kind of underlying weakness of the Leafs, which is that when they get to a team that's at their level or higher, They really struggle in a couple of areas that make it very hard to win playoff rounds. (laughs) But like, like some of that's on him. Some of it's on his line mates. A lot of it's on the defense, but he's just been out there spinning in circles in his own end in ways that are not fun. There was some of that last night too. Mm.
2: Harvard, so do you take it from there?
1: Or, yeah, I mean sorry. the I think I gave him a B as well. Um, the I guess we're we're trying to make this like not sad, but like the John Tavares isn't John Tavares when we signed him, mm-hmm. right? We we have seen the best of John Tavares, and we have zero playoff series wins to show for it, right? Like that's the reality of the situation. We knew when we signed that deal. You know, you get three years of this is Capital J John Tavares, and then you get four years of, and you know who knows how it'll age from here. Of you have John Tavares coming down from the peak of his powers, where he's still a clearly very good player, but in the like in a in a cold hard sense, not worth eleven million dollars, and not particularly close to worth eleven million dollars. We were fine with that trade off, right? I don't that I'm I'm not relitigating the contract and saying oh we shouldn't have signed it. It was a fine decision to make. But John Tavares isn't as good as he was three years ago. Uh, And, yeah, as Katya pointed out, it's been most noticeable in the defensive results. That line has struggled defensively. Um, Even with, like, Nylander. Like, we talk about Nylander, Kerfoot, Tavares. That line has been dynamite offensively, but they, they give a lot of it back the other way. And that's a little bit concerning, especially, you know, we, again, we talked about this with regards to Tampa last week. You give a little bit to Steven Stamkos, and his shot has a way of turning a little bit into a lot of it. So, you know, that's, that's a margin for error that you don't really want to play with. Uh, it, and this is some, another reason it makes sense to play Marner with it, right, to, to have a stronger defensive winger there than, than, than Nylander. Um, he can still really punish people on the offensive end, though, right? Uh, his personal shooting, as Katya said, his, his, like, activity and his individual expected goals rate is really strong. The offense, really, there's almost nothing to complain about, except you'd want him to just convert a little more. He's um, still an above-average play driver, not elite at that anymore. But, yeah, this is, I guess, B is kind of in line with expectations. And I think the thing that's saddest is that, like, my expectations have dropped. And that's, like, that part isn't sad. That's a fact of life. But it's a reminder that we didn't do anything when we had John Tavares when the expectations were this is like a top 10 center in the world. Mm-hmm. And he he's, he's not that anymore.
0: Well, if you want to be sadder, I'll put it this way for you. John Tavares is galloping towards Jason Spezza. It's only a question of how fast he gets there. Yes. Or how slow. <laughs> slow, please, John.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is neither of them moved that quickly. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we're we're adapting to this. I will say, I think Tavares has certainly aged no worse than could have reasonably been expected. Yeah, no, I think like, this,
1: this is like yeah. the average of what you expect. Yeah. Like maybe not in the exact way that you would expect, but like in, in net, I think he's declined about a normal amount.
2: Right. And so the Leafs are built, as we've said a million times, on the idea that they have two first-ish lines. They have two lines that are probably going to win their minutes against you and put up margins on you. And Tavares can still do that with Nylander. It's just when we have these, these sort of wavering indicators in terms of the defense, the chances against them getting caped in, they're not putting up as big a margin. This line is still solidly winning its minutes. Like, they, they still are a very strong line.
1: Yeah, they still have like a 52%... XG and like they're actually well above they They have a kind of absurd goals for percentage because of a PDO heater effectively. But right. yeah, like we'll they're just
2: absolutely trust that will continue for <laughs> sure.
1: For sure. Well, it appears to be driven by Alex Kerfoot, who has, has always been one of the best offensive players in the world. We know this, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's still a good line. It's just not
2: elite.
1: Yeah. Like you'd like to see it in the 55, 56 range.
2: Yeah. And I think as we go through this lineup, we're going to start seeing rather shortly, We have lines that we cannot anticipate putting up margins on their opposition, pretty much regardless of who that opposition is. So, this is where the scoring has to come from. The good sign is that the offense is still up there. But, of course there's been decline. I gave him a B because I'm thinking he's doing what he can at this age. I say this as if I'm not older than him. It's uh, something I'm still getting (laughs) used to, but... um, Anyway... Yeah, he, um, I, I think he's he's in line with expectations. That's how I would put it. Uh, any departing thoughts on Johnny T? Or shall we move on to what I think is the most fun entry on this list? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. Mr. Michael Bunting, fresh off a of hat trick. Uh, he provoked a change in my letter grade, and it was to add a plus to it. So there. He has 40 games played, 12 goals, 15 assists, 27 points. He is from Scarborough. That's important. Please contemplate it in your grades.
1: Well, he, he's the only player to score a hat trick on the same day that his hometown was featured in Hockey Day in Canada. Like, are, are, are we, should we wait? Should we waive the five-year of retirement policy to send him to the Hall of Fame?
0: Well, we've got to get him in there somehow. Yeah. Just give him the Hart Trophy now. Though. Yeah,
2: like, this is, this is moment. Connor McDavid could never <laughs> Did he get a hat trick on the Hometown Hockey Day when his town was reviewed? I don't know. I, I wonder I, how I, many entries there are well, in that like. I, I, was, I, was talking,
1: I was thinking this, where yeah. it's like,
2: how many people
1: have played a game when their hometown was featured on Hockey Day in Canada? Like, hockey Day in Canada, it feels like that should be one day a year, but it seems to come up. I feel like it comes up way more frequently than one day a year. I feel like every third Hockey Night in Canada is like, <laughs> we're live from so-and-so <laughs> at, for Hockey Day in Canada. I was like, didn't we just have this? You're mixing it up with hometown hockey,
2: which is a recurring feature in which our beloved Ron McLean tours the small towns of Canada.
1: Okay. Yeah. So.
2: Very important.
1: So if there's one hockey day in Canada per year, and this has only started (laughs) since Rogers took control of, like, the, you know, the NHL television rights in Canada, which is, like, what, seven, eight years ago, there have been at most, like, there there have been only eight hometowns featured, presumably.
2: Yeah, but... None of the other ones got a hat trick. Yeah. So, <laughs> think about that. You raise uh, a very valid point. <laughs> so anyway, I was going to quote some other stats, too, that are of less relevance. Um, he, yeah, he's third on the team in points per 60. Um, he's actually producing at a very, very fine rate. And by the way, I took these rate stats before last night when presumably he's gotten up. Uh, In in the rankings, because as we've just mentioned, he got a hat-trick on hometown hockey or hockey day in Canada or whatever it is. I've confused myself. He's been very, very good with Austin Matthews in terms of their line doing well. I don't think anyone, uh, least of all Michael Bunting, thinks that he's the primary driver of that. But still, that's good. Uh, He's second to Connor McDavid league-wide in total penalties drawn. He also leads the league in proposing to other players that they smell what his glove is like. (laughs) So, Katja, your thoughts on Michael Bunting. Okay,
0: this is Michael Bunting. He's down on the ice on his knees because he just got half smacked in the face and he's chewing on his mouth guard. He gets up and he's chirping the guy who just, like, smashed him, half smashed him in the face. He'll take time out to scream at the ref who's on the other side of the ice, which is wonderful because you can hear it. When you're watching on TV and you can really hear every word he yells at that ref and 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 then he just goes and he scores goals that's who that's what he is that's who he is he's just he's like we would hate him so much if he was on another team oh my mm. god, but he's not so he's perfect he gets an a plus plus there I upped my grade too <laughs> yeah
1: i I gave him an a and I I feel Too like if, I, if, if I'm not giving an A plus to him, I, I, like, I should just make it an A plus because I don't know really what he could have done. Like I have effectively zero reservations about him. It's like, we can have all the caveats of okay, yeah, like he's all, he's basically always the third best player on his line. That's fine. The, the Leafs need players who are good at being the third best players on their line. This is like a fundamental important thing for us to have. Bunting has just vastly exceeded uh, like expectations of him he had obviously productive partial year in Arizona last year but it was so few games that it was hard to know what to make of it right like you either if you took his stats completely at face value it would look kind of ridiculous so you had to regress it to something like to a league average or below that based on you know the track record of someone who's 25 not making it to the league prior but you know his he's strung together another really good season so like I think there's more and more evidence that, like, hey, he's just actually a quite good player.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, as I kind of hinted at in the intro, I gave him an A+. Um, if there is sort of a caveat, and I know Arvin's already gestured towards some of them, it's that Austin Matthews could play with two crash test dummies, either the item or the band, and <laughs> they would comfortably win the XG battle, is, is the reality. Matthews can do that. He can carry players. But that said... There's almost nothing more you can hope for from a player who's making less than a million dollars a year and who is just handily producing and putting up good metrics, adding some sandpaper, making the opposition very mad, uh, and kind of playing fearlessly. Like, he has a great, uh, I guess, aesthetic element that he has to that line. Is this something that you like to see in terms of making the Leafs less fun to play against. And he's also been good. So, yeah, I, do, I don't know what more could have been expected from him. Um, he would certainly get a raise if he were going to market this offseason.
1: Yes. And, I mean, from the least perspective, uh, if, if Kyle Dubas ever has to, like, argue for his job to Brendan Shanahan or Mose higher-ups, he will point to, hey, I signed Michael Bunting to two years, 950K. Like, we're, we're getting a player who's producing, like, a $4 million player, and we're spending less mm-hmm. than a million on him
2: right right yeah I, I mean the leafs made a series of, of bets like that and have for a while now and this has turned out about as well as any of them mm-hmm. so uh yeah I, I think we all just agree and love him does anyone have any other thoughts on mr bunting
1: you two, uh, i mean it is nice to have um I, I feel like we can say this just a complete bastard on the team mm,
2: <laughs> yeah
1: right like he as as he said katya other people must despise him. He he would be super annoying to play against. From what we see, the, the, the camera seems to love him. I assume because he just never shuts up.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yeah, no, I've actually seen some clips of Austin Matthews on the bench. Uh, maybe getting a little tired of listening to him. It's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <He laughs> so, lots to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's he's like. Like, he's going to grow up and he's going to be Ray Ferraro between the benches, doing hockey broadcasts, never shutting up. (laughs) He is Ray Ferraro, just maybe not quite as good a goal scorer. But you can't have everything.
2: Yeah. It reminds me a bit of... uh, And again, this is a cross-board analogy. Kyle Lowry is obviously a much better player. But for a while, everyone who played the Raptors just was like, that Lowry, he's like such a grifter. He's always, you know, like forcing his way to free throws and doing all this nonsense. And I was like, Oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. You're so mad at him. And I get a little <laughs> bit of that fun from watching Michael Bunting. It's very satisfying.
1: And his um, predilection for you know that, that Tom Wilson thing uh, without braining people, hopefully of like mm. tilting the game away from five on five
2: probably helps mm. the Leafs a bit.
0: Yes. Mm. Very much. Very much. Draw a few more penalties. That would be great. Mm.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm just worried that they're going to catch on to him, and they'll be like, okay, we're not giving that guy anything anymore. It,
1: mean, like what you... happened with Kadri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was but... that the example you were going to bring up, uh, Katya? No, I was oh. going to
0: say Brad Marchand, mm. because mm. Brad Marchand is, is annoying enough that even if the refs don't want to play into the game, he still draws a lot of penalties. Mm. And I think bunting's in his class. Yeah, in that he, uh... respect.
2: Yeah, as a provocateur sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like we said... Second to Connor McDavid penalties drawn. And the Leafs, despite what you may have heard, um, do not get an especially generous whistle most of the time. Like, they tend to play in fairly low penalty games. So it it stands out. Um, Okay, I think we can move on to Mr. Alex Kerfoot. 40 games played, 6 goals, 23 assists for 29 points. He leads the team in points per 60 by a lot. Um, He's ahead of Matthews and Nylander and Tavares. He might actually not be ahead of Bunting after last night. I'd have to double check. Again, I took this yesterday. Now, granted, it's mostly a big on-ice shooting percentage. So your mileage may vary in terms of how much credit you really want to give him for that. Um, His fancy stats are decent, even if they don't really stand out among the Leafs Fs. Um, The Leaf forwards as a group have good numbers because the team is pretty good. Um, Kerfoot certainly participates in that. Uh, it does give me a bit of pause that hockey visits isolates still think he's where offense goes to die. He shows a negative 13% four impact on chances four, and he's below average defensively, according to them too. So I have to believe he's better than that to like him, but he does have some points. Katja, what do you think?
0: Um, well... Okay. So he's permanently a winger now. So we have to take that into account. We, we, we can't like say, well, at least he's also a center.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, I, I don't think his high on ice shooting percentage is him particularly. Mm, uh, he's, he's a weird player in a, in a sense for a winger. He, he made more sense in this respect for, as a center. He, ha- he has a very high career shooting percentage, but he doesn't shoot very much. So he only takes a shot when he's really sure that's going to go in. Tyler Bozak, in other words, he's a big passer. His points are all coming from assists and as a center, he makes sense to me as a player, as a winger on the Leafs. He's good. I I gave him a B. I, I have no objection to him. He's often got decent ish defensive results in the past. So I, I'm just kind of wondering if he's he's sort of like gone down the rabbit hole of wherever the Tavares line has gone this year. But he, he just, he's extremely versatile, and yet he feels like he's just not quite what the Leafs need on left wing, but he's sure better than most of the alternatives. I would play him with a pure shooter on the opposite wing, and what I when I was... Preparing these grades. I I basically I came to the conclusion that he should play with Kasha because Kasha is just his mirror image Kasha is a shot not much else. We'll get to that when we get to that But if you put the two of them opposite John Tavares even I think you'd have a great line Uh, As a third line they'd be spectacular because it would mean you were able to put Kasha and Kerfoot on the third line now that would be the glory Leafs, right if your third line was Kasha Kerfoot and whoever even David Camp mm-hmm. but they just the least can't use Kerfoot in the best possible way so they have to use him in a way where they have to be satisfied with what he can bring and I think he's bringing his best possible self that's kind of what I feel about him I'm not sure if that's negative or positive
1: yeah oh, it was
2: balanced yeah go ahead
1: I, I gave him a be, I don't have a lot to say on, and now we're getting to the point in the players where I have I have much less to say than than I do with the stars, um, and I guess the the amount that I have to say is proportional to their importance to the team in some sense. Um, yeah, as as you said, Katya, the good has been mostly a PDO bender. Don't think he has a ton to do with it. Um, the The lines with him and JT feel mostly carried by the right wing, whoever they are, right? And Kerfoot is just kind of there now. Being there is not a bad thing for the Leafs. The Leafs need guys who can just be there and be lifted by people. Um, I, don't, I don't think Kerfoot has been amazing, but, you know, it's... If, if, I guess... I, w- I would give him probably slightly lower than a B if it wasn't for the PDO bender, which I recognize is kind of silly because I just said it. I don't think he really had anything to do with that. But it's like, again, the distinction between like, what have you done and, and, and what are you. Um, what he's done has been very helpful to the Leafs and is is like those goals that he was on the ice for do count. They do, they have gotten the Leafs in a position where they're, you know, fighting for the division lead. That matters. Uh, But, you know, on the whole, it's just like, you can just kind of paper and or pencil in um, Kerfoot on the left wing of
2: one of those top three lines and just be kind of okay with it. I think we said before with Kerfoot that if he's the third best player on the line, you're pretty happy with him. And if he's the best player on the, the line, you were upset. And so I can't help thinking that in addition to the PDO bender, the big difference between the Kerfoot of before and the Kerfoot of now is we're letting him be the third best player on the line. And he can certainly do that. Um, I think he's done it about as well as could be hoped. And so I was a bit generous. I gave him a B plus um same thing i think i'm sort of rewarding a pdo bender here but good for him that's sort of part of what he has been involved in but yeah he's not anyone's kind of dream uh left wing to the stars it's just he's what we've got and as yet we haven't seen an alternative that we like any better um Ilya Mikhail notwithstanding and his recent shooting spike so yeah I like i think that he's fine he's sort of uh a good complementary player. Um, contrast with Marta who's an exceptional complementary player. A- and no more than that. So yeah, I give him a B plus. Um I feel like everyone has fewer thoughts about Alex Kerfoot than almost any other player. <laughs> <laughs> He's just not an, ex- an exciting player. Yeah, not the type of player who engenders like deep thoughts. Um, David Kampf. Uh, this is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um. 40 games played, 4 goals, 8 assists, 12 points, which is, has to be said, slightly more than I thought he was going to provide. Mm. Um, 52% expected goals, 56% of the goals always on. He takes the smallest percentage of his faceoffs in the offensive zone of any regular forward in the NHL. They love defensive zone starts for Mr. David Kampf. He wins 55% of his face-offs, which is nice. Uh, and he's the leading penalty killer by time um, on the Leafs penalty kill by a lot. Uh, how much credit he's due for that is kind of open to question in terms of the Leafs penalty kill, because it's kind of harder to isolate value depending on who you get it to play against. Still, the Leafs penalty kill has been pretty good. He's as purely a defensive center as I can remember in a long time. And not in the sense of, you know, Frederick Gauthier, where it was like, well, we assume he's a defensive center because he's definitely not doing the other thing. Kampf is a very good defensive center and not especially interested, <laughs> neither willing nor able to provide more on the
0: offensive side of the puck. I think, what do you think Katja? I gave him an A plus because I just don't expect him to score a goal ever. And, and he mm. actually has, which is like sort of amazing. He has zero offensive talent. It's mm. like, there's just nothing there. Every once in a while, you see him try to do something with the puck around the net. It's almost funny. It's so bad. But I don't care. He's an A+. Plus. He's almost as good as Matthews in terms of expected goals against, which playing very similar levels of competition, he's he, he's like paid like a dollar and a half, and he's... Almost a second-line player. It's, it's like... And also, the pictures of him and Kasha when they were kids playing together are adorable. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, he's perfect. I, I'm amazed. I had no idea what he was going to be like this.
1: Yeah, I, I've... We were, like, a little low on it, and we, 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 we kind of thought, like, okay, if he's your fourth-line center, that's great. Third-line, not 100% sure. And, you know, we, we were just straight-up wrong on that. Um, like he, he's, he's been a wonderful... Uh, depth or like kind of third line shutdown player and, and a type of player who who actually is getting difficult enough usage that it should adjust your expectations of like his raw results and things like that. Um, and even with respect to like his his linemates, notwithstanding playing with William Neander now. Um, but yeah, it's just very, very strong results given the the types of minutes that he plays. It's as you said, very tilted towards defense. He plays an entirely different game to anyone else on the Leafs. You, you see those, like, um, those uh, charts from Viz that have like the on-ice results of each player on a grid, and Comp is like way off from the rest of the Leafs, who are like all in this cluster of like strong offense, okay defense, and Comp is like what's offense? Like what's a shot? Like, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it it's like it's like he treats
2: hockey like it's capture the flag.
0: I wonder if Lou Lamorello calls Dubis up every week and asks if he'll trade him. <laughs>
2: mm. He does have the spirit of an Islander, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> he does. <You> know? <laughs> um mm. but yeah, Kampf has been has been really, really excellent. Uh just basically only positive things to to say about uh about what he's done so far. There there's again, there's like really no offense there. That's fine. Mm. It doesn't really need to be. And it's also there, um, there, there is you know the the unending worry of a player like Kampf is that he can get overused and he's kind of useless when you're trailing, mm. right? And that that's harsh. It's not useless is like obviously not the right word there, but his utility goes really far down when you start needing goals and you don't care as much about giving them up because he just can't really help you there. But conversely, if you're a team like the Leafs, you expect to spend a lot of time winning, and Comp is in theory quite useful there. Um, notwithstanding the Leafs' general issues in uh, closing out games recently, uh, you know I think they're they're generally a team that I I am fine with with these with these leads. And I think Jeff Valet actually did like a, a breakdown of this and showed that the Leafs' um, lead blowing is just like kind of. It's just been very concentrated in a short period of time, which has made everyone think about it, and it's not like a longer-term pattern or key for anything like that.
2: I would say with Kampf, and I give him an A-minus, he's been the absolute best version of what I could have hoped for when we got him. I looked at him and I was like, I don't know if this defense is really sufficient beyond being, okay, he can play against bottom sixers or something like that. I don't see any offense at all. Instead, what we've gotten is a third line center who wins minutes despite getting a very, very heavy diet of defensive zone starts to the point where it actually is quite striking. And who just seems to play the game that the coach apparently really wanted out of him. My only concern is, is there some sort of Mendoza line where it's like, you can't be under this level of offense and be a forward playing this many minutes and still have it be good enough. And you can say as long as he's outscoring his competition, which again on the year he has, then it's fine. I just find myself thinking, boy, we are given a lot of minutes to a guy who is never going to score. I actually looked up his four goals just for posterity's sake. And it's like, there's a a telekinetic goal, which (laughs) appears to go in despite like, eight people being closer to the puck than Coffey's is uh, after he loses his handle on it there was a carom, uh, a karam excuse me off the backboards where he shoots into an empty net there were a couple of really really nice passes from Andre Kasha I don't mean this to you know pick him apart I'm just saying again offense is not what he does at all and so I'm just trying to bake in whether there's a cost to that but A minus
1: I don't know if I said my grade but I also gave him an A minus
2: Yeah, Uh, I think we're ready for the Giraffe, Mm -hmm. Mr. Pierre Engvall. Uh, 37 games played, 6 goals, 9 assists, 15 points. He's riding a high individual points percentage to a decent P60. He's middle of the pack on the team. Very good expected goals, 56.5%. He's been part of successful lines with both David Kampf and Jason Spezza. And he's actually even looked like an average shooter. Um, which can be a little bit counterintuitive, maybe. Although the thing is, is he takes these shots that are not expected to go in. And so the fact that they often do not go in, I guess, is in line with expectations.
0: (laughs) Um, But he has scored a little bit. So credit where it's due. Uh, Katja? Well, I'm going to be mean about Pierre because, like, I called him, I gave him a C. Uh, I called him a replacement level player. So, Okay. He's, he skates nicely, very nicely for somebody that tall. He has a good understanding of the game. He's not, he's not dumb. It's not like he doesn't know how to play hockey. Yes, I'm sort of alluding to someone else there. Um, he, but I, I think he makes the third line worse. And I think he makes it worse by, by being the place offense goes to die. Like, we discussed earlier that really nice pass from Spezza, Spezza last night, and it's like, yeah, but it went to Pierre. <laughs> so, you know, that's not going anywhere. And, and, and like, that's the, that's the problem. He's I don't mind him on the fourth line. Kevin Petty has mentioned this before, that he adds a nice complimentary value to Spezza and Simmons that they don't have. And I'm okay with him on the fourth line. And if he gets up above the fourth line, I think he's playing too much and he's taking minutes away from a better player and he shouldn't. And that's sort of where I'm at with him. And like, I just, I don't want him on the third line. I just don't think he brings, as a winger, I just don't think he's bringing what needs to be brought. Maybe if the center wasn't caught, it would be different, but it is. So... Yeah, I... I find,
1: I'm very mid on Engvall generally. He's had, if you look at his stats this year, they're stellar. Surprisingly so, honestly. Um, We talked about XG, RAPM earlier. and We talked about, like, Matthews being uh, number one in the Leafs by, like, an absurd margin, by the way, which isn't surprising because, as you said, Kaite, he's, like, second in the league among forwards. Engvall was actually second among forwards, just ahead of Michael Bunting and William Nylander. So Engvall's had like a really positive effect on the lines that uh, he's played on this year. But when I watch him, it's it. I don't feel like man Pierre Engvall's running the show on this line. He's driving this line, and this is quite different to what we've seen in years prior, where he was a, a, a more mediocre play driver. And I don't mean mediocre in a negative sense. I mean mediocre to mean middle of the pack, uh, which is which is fine. Like for for a depth player, that's completely reasonable and. To, to catch his point if you're a depth player who drives play okay and just doesn't have as much uh offensive talent yeah that that gets you in the nhl and as an in a depth spot that is like perfectly okay for a th- th- third fourth line tweener that, and that's kind of what i think he is I, so i agree like, if he's on your fourth line you're really happy and he's played well this year or at least ha- we've seen good results with him on the ice this year i don't I don't strongly think that he is actually re really driving that, but maybe he, he's developing in a way that I haven't really, like, accounted for yet. Um, he definitely has a place in, in, on the team and a place in the league. Like, I think he's for sure one of our 12 best forwards. Um, I also agree that, you know, playing him with Simmons and Spezza, his mobility and condor wingspan is quite helpful to account, to help, like... Make up for two other guys who are not really fleet of foot at this point in their career and don't have a ton of defensive new. Um So that that that's helpful, but yeah, like it's I I I ultimately gave him a B plus because the results have been good, but I don't. It's not like a a feeling I have. It's not like a very strong feeling I have about him generally.
2: I gave him an A minus, and I like him. So there.
1: We've <laughs> in com- all honesty, <laughs> we've covered the spectrum of opinions on Pierre Engvall. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's interesting. We all graded him somewhat differently, and yet I think our our thoughts are somewhat closer than those grades would imply. I am probably higher on him, just because I look at the gifts that he has in terms of, one, he's very big, and two, he skates remarkably well for a player the size that he is. Those two things, I cannot shake the feeling, ought to get you a long way. And now we've seen plenty of players who have great physical gifts that they just don't deliver on because the game happens too fast for them. But Engvall, I think at least threatens to keep up with the game a lot of the time, you know, he's, he's right on the edge of it. And so he can have good results. Um, again, when you, when he gets the puck below the offensive blue line, you do wonder a little bit what value you're getting there. And that's why he's never going to be a top six player because he just does not achieve enough in that situation. And he has an unfortunate habit of settling for mediocre shots on the rush that feel a little bit like wasted opportunities, but he produces okay. And I would say I'm okay with him on the third line with conf. I I would go so far as to to say that in the circumstances. Um, I don't know if he's going to be. I think William Mikheyev probably has the inside track on that job, but... I think Engvall has maybe raised his stock a little bit this year. Put it this way. I don't think people would necessarily have been keen to take on that contract, which is $1.25 million. uh, As of last season, this year, I think that that's fine for what he brings and maybe even verging on a little low. I don't know if it's quite a value deal or anything like that, but I I think that he's he's raised his stock. Hmm. Your your point about him taking shots from anywhere
1: is like... <laughs> what well well taken because like if he plays in the top six that gets super annoying really fast it's okay when you're taking possessions off the table for david Kampf. but like the first time he he looks off austin matthews (laughs) because he's like man this this unscreened wrister from 65 feet away i have a good feeling (laughs) um that would be frustrating
2: yeah, I, I think that speaking of Ilya Mikheyev, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Mikheyev has a bit of uh, that instinct that it is always Ilya Mikheyev time. Mm. And uh, it's a similar issue. But yeah, I you know, I, I like the giraffe. Um, Andre Kasha, 32 games played, 8 goals, 9 assists, 17 points. He is your team leader in both goals for and individual points percentage. I wonder if those two are connected. He has a better P60 at 5 5 than Austin Matthews. He's just decent in other fancies, but he's always above water, and he wins his minutes with David Kampf. I have never seen a player who seems to end every shift on the verge of injury, quite to the extent that Andre Kasha does. And There's a stereotype of injury-prone players, if you'll forgive the phrase, that they're kind of somehow soft and feeble, and the, the, the sport is too violent and stuff like that, and there's sort of these wilting violets. That's the opposite of true, especially with Andre Kasha. He plays really, really hard. Um, And so he ends up in these physical situations where you can see how he gets hurt a little bit more often. That said, I've liked him when he's been on the ice. Kasha, what do you think?
0: Um, I gave him a B. I I think he's very fun, which sometimes the Leafs oddly enough, lack for a very offensively focused team. I think he's primarily his own personal shooting and, and some personal offensive, like very much a right-around-the-net sort of play. I think he's a, a within-20-feet-of-the-net guy kind of thing. I don't think there's much else there. Um, and Which is okay, because he's bringing what he's bringing. I, I really do honestly think he's Alex Kerfoot's mirror opposite. <laughs> but but the th- actually, the thing about Kasha and the injury-prone stuff, sometimes fans talk about him in a way that just drives me up the wall. So I'm going to mention that. Everybody sounds like they're talking about the hemophiliac prince and they're worried he might like trip over something and bleed to death on the floor. And it's like, you know, he's fine. He's not going to break in half if he checks a guy. <laughs> and I just, I, I, think, I think some of that is the reaction to someone who's had a really difficult recovery from concussion. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and maybe everybody could dial that back a tiny bit. I think he's okay. But no, I like him. He's fun.
1: I give him uh, an A-. minus. Um, basically, the expectations for Kasha were, were difficult to pin down at the start of this year. Because like, I think everyone knew he was good when he played but it had been so long since we'd seen him play um, and play consistently uh, and be in the lineup every day. Um, so it was unclear how much of an effect that those series of injuries would have on his play when he was on the ice. Um, and I think he probably is, has, he was a top-line player at points in Anaheim when, when you look at his stats. And he doesn't appear to have recovered all the way to that level. Maybe he never will. Um, but he's still clearly a league average player or slightly better. And that is quite valuable on the Leafs. We need league average players, especially when you're making uh, as little as, as he is. So that's you know very, very helpful. And that's a large part of why I gave him an A-. I think, again, this has been a bit of a theme where I've talked about it. And it's important for the Leafs because we have important players like, um, like Marner who are kind of particular in their usage. It really helps to have versatile players around them because they're the ones who get shuffled up at, 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 and down as needed. You know, Kasha is one of the few players on the Leafs who can possibly play on the shutdown line with Kampf and also play on Matthew's wing and not really look out of place on either. And that is helpful.
2: I, I would tend to agree with that. I gave him a B plus because he has been a good version of what I basically thought, which was when a, a player who, when he gets into games... Um, is quite skilled. You know, he has real offensive talent and real offensive talent tends to cost you money unless there is some reason for that to be depreciated in the market. And so in Kasha's case, it's that in the year and a half or so he was in Boston, he played nine games and had one assist. And so I'm not surprised that this bet worked out, you know, it it made sense and I'm kind of tethered to those expectations. I do think that he adds an element that we have a hard time getting in other respects from these complementary players, because a lot of them are kind of grinders. You know, we've just talked about Pierre Engvall, not an offensive dynamo. Andre Kasha has as much offense as you can really hope for from someone at his price point. Um, Now, granted, Michael Bunting is producing at a comparable level, but I think he's probably the less skilled player. He's more of an agitator. So, yeah, I've been quite contented with him. He does play with self-sacrificing energy to my eye. Like, he really just seems kind of fearless. And as Katya said, look, it's a physical sport. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but I do, you know, hope that he can remain upright at a, after a certain percentage of his shifts for, for his own benefit, if nothing else. So maybe I'm one of those fans who worries too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on Kasha?
0: Um, I, oh, you I, I, I just think the Leafs got really lucky with him and Bunting on, on cost. And, and to be perfectly honest, I think Engvall is a bit overpaid um, because I think the, the the cap is pushing down salaries for the bottom six and for complementary players. And, and like Kasha and Bunting are the reason the Leafs are succeeding because they have these guys so cheap. Like, they won a couple bets. What if they'd lost them? What if we mm. had three Nick Richies? Yeah, we're, we're not having
1: <laughs> as fun a conversation. And <laughs> I, obviously, there's enough existential dread about this season in general. But then you also think, like, oh, man, we have to replace Kasha next year, most likely. Unless he wants to come back on another cheap deal. Because he's played himself into a raise, right? And the year after, we have to replace Bunt. they gets Dubas is in a hard position. We talked about this before. He has to be right. He has to make a lot of these bets on a year-on-year basis and like consistently win, because <laughs> by definition you can't make, you know, you can't um, win one of these bets on these short-term flyer deals and then just carry that over forever. Because the player will justifiably command a higher
0: salary. Yes, mm-hmm. you have to keep doing it. Yeah, mm, it's tough. It's sort of like yeah. being a hockey player. You have to yeah. perform every year. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it's unfair. I, I, In my opinion, we should just let people perform once and then just be okay with them chilling the rest of their lives. They can just trade mm-hmm. off that.
2: It's okay, I'm Ward, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, Mr. Wayne Simmons, uh, speaking of cheaper deals, uh, 39 games played, four goals, eight assists, 12 points. He's producing pretty nicely in his role as a fourth-line winger. He was seventh among forwards in points per 60 yesterday, so you'll certainly take that. Uh. The offensive numbers when he's on the ice are still good. Um, I'm not. I'm a little hesitant sometimes to use isolates with, especially players in this age range, just because the decline can come kind of quickly. And sometimes you can still end up giving them credit for when they were good before the decline hit. But maybe that's just something that I've perceived. Um, he's still got a decent expected goals percentage on the year at just under 53 percent, but it has dropped in the past couple of months and. I hope you'll forgive me for using an endpoint of December 1st, because I just picked it out of a hat, but I do feel like the fourth line has hit the skids a little bit in recent time. And some of that is Simmons, some of that is a player we will talk about uh, towards the end of the list. Uh, Kasia, what do you think of Wayne?
0: Well, I I gave him a B- and I, I have to try really hard with Mr. Simmons not to let my enormous respect for him color my view of his actual play. He's really awful defensively these days. And you know, like okay, Wayne's like heyday. People have mm-hmm. the wrong idea about him. You know what he was actually famous for? Skinny legs. And the mm-hmm. and the whole deal was he had these skinny little legs and he could go really fast. I think somebody from some university even examined this phenomenon on the flyers because they had a couple of guys who had, and they, and they started wearing really lightweight skates and discovered they were skating faster. That was his hmm. deal. And and like, obviously he can't do that anymore, but he, he's got the brain of an offensive player still. So mm-hmm. if you have an in-game emergency and you have to shove him out there on the line with Tavares or Matthews, he's not going to look like he doesn't have a clue. He, he mm-hmm. can handle that for a game or two or part of a game. And he's one of the very few people on the team that can do that and meaningfully do that. So to me, that as a, as a guy you're going to park on the fourth line, use on a power play too, he's fine. He's absolutely fine. So, you know, he's not what he was. He's not great. And he really is bad defensively. So you better make up for that with the rest of the guys on his line. But mm-hmm. but no, I you know I like him for what he brings now.
1: I I think I largely agree. I I also gave him a B minus. Um, I thought he was really really strong to start the year, and it's not like he's been awful since. But to your point, Fulman, him and the fourth line generally have dropped off a bit. Um, they did have a great game yesterday, which uh, is is good timing. And you know if you can get a, a few more goals on the margin from them, that's very helpful. Uh, they. I think Simmons does deserve some credit for being part of a not-useless PP2. it feels like, for a long time, our PP2 has been, like... it was For a while, it was, like, Jake Gardner and his merry band of friends. And it was just, like...
0: Oh, those were the days.
1: Yeah, it's, Gardner would just be on the ice and be like, okay, well, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> right? Because um, he, he has just these random-ass players playing next to him who should not be on a power play, really. Uh, and then, you know, having... Uh, Spezza there helps and we'll talk about this with Spezza where like he 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 lends the whole power play operation in the second unit a bit of structure and calm and poise um, but Simmons deserves a bit of credit there like I'm not as annoyed when PP2 comes out it's like okay you know we probably won't score on this power play but we might get something
2: right uh, so Simmons is a good example of kind of what you get in the late career of a very good player you know there are skills that are still there for him that, you know, isolated down to that one individual thing are still at a very high level. Like, when he's in front of the net, he still has the capacity to occasionally get his stick on a puck and make a a quick shot or a quick play that not a lot of players do in time. You still get these glimpses of what was once one of the premier power forwards in the NHL. And he has looked better this year. I really think, you know, if we were structuring things just to suit Wayne Simmons a little bit better, it would be great to have a 50-game regular season. Mm. You know, I just think that he could use a little bit more time to recover and then, you know, be at his best for the playoffs. Um, Very hard not to like him. I think we all admire the work that he's done with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. You know, he's been a leader on on that issue, and he's also another person from Scarborough, and as we've established, that (laughs) is a feather in your cap. Just going to keep bringing that up. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're, we're happy to have him. I just am also conscious. It's a long season. It's grinding. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has some fatigue building up just because we're about to play a lot of games in a row, um, in a relatively short time. So yeah, that said, yeah, I I gave him a, a B plus because I think he actually came in better this year than he was last year. Um. <laughs> oh, Nick Ritchie. <laughs> so <laughs> we talked about bets and how sometimes they succeed and sometimes they do not. 33 games played, two goals, seven assists, nine points. He is the only Leaf forward that we're going to talk about today who is below water in expected goals. It's not by match, though. He is last by an enormous margin in goals for percentage. The Leafs have gotten about a third of the goals when he's on the ice. That's not great. Not unrelatedly, his on-ice shooting percentage is absolutely in the toilet. It's 4% at 5 e 5 Needless to say, that involves a healthy element of bad luck. He's not that bad. Um, but I can't say he's been very good. Katja?
0: Well, actually, he's not that bad. It's kind of my grade for him. He's, he's, <laughs> he's also the only person we're talking about who's not currently on the team. He's yeah. actually... Uh, uh, been moved to the taxi squad, which as I like to to harp on, is actually the AHL. So he's not even in the NHL right now. So I I actually gave him a grade of S for surplus to requirements. I, I don't think he's as bad as he has looked on the Leafs and he has looked really terrible. I, I don't think he's the brightest guy on earth either. But he has a few key skills. He plays the net front on the power play with, with absolute skill and ability he will get get you points doing that if he's on your first power play unit you're probably the arizona coyotes (laughs) so you know it's it's good he's not he's got a modestly good effect like and i mean modest on on Corsi. so you have the puck a little more when he's on the ice he doesn't seem to have any kind of defensive game he doesn't actually seem like, he's not Pierre Engvall levels of what are you doing with all that poundage, but he's he just doesn't seem to be all that effective physically, and, and, and basically that's his entire, like, what he brings to the table, and the Leafs don't need any of that. You can put Wayne Simmons at the net on power play, too, and you're fine. You don't really need him for anything. However, dun-dun-dun, I bet you money he'll be back on the Leafs before long, because they're they're, you know, he's a, he's a competent enough fourth liner. They're going to have injuries. He's going to be back. So, you know, that's all he is. And and, 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 just don't ask for any more. So relative to what we would have hoped when, when Dubis signed him and what he had to pay him based on his past points, he's been a big disappointment, but if you sort of accept him for who he is, uh, you know, that's what he is. He's in. Eh. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it's... He's been both, like, not great and then also really unlucky in the sense that there's been... Like, he, he's had the opposite year to Kerfoot in that sense, where kind of the puck luck really hasn't been there for him, and that's made him look worse than he is. At the same time, I don't think he's really covered himself in glory either. Um, probably doesn't help that he does have a penchant for taking just silly-ass penalties. Right, without the associated like comedy of inciting the other team the way Bunting does. So, yeah, I just there there isn't much there. You know, you win some, you lose some when it comes to, to value bets. Um, I think Richie has just not really been a one that's that's worked. Um, he's not useless, like he's he's an NHL player, but he's just not a particularly good one. And he picked a really bad time to go, to go cold and shoot, like, five goals under expected. Mm. Which, given that he's only generated, like, seven expected goals, is a, it's a lot. Yeah. That's
0: pretty bad.
1: If you gave Austin Matthews a ringette stick, I'm not
2: sure he would have shot worse than Nick Ritchie did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that's going for him. Um, I gave him a D. Uh, which is like, I could have given him an F, except I felt a little bit sorry for him in terms of there is a luck element there that has not gone his way. He's not this bad. But we talked about this with Austin Matthews. We said, okay, a big part of your value or one of the many big parts of your value is that you shoot well. In Nick Ritchie's case, one of the only points of his value is that he goes to the dirty areas and shoots normally. He's not like a great finisher or anything, but normally speaking, he can be somewhat useful within 10 feet of the net. When your shooting percentage collapses, unfortunately, that wipes out the only thing that you really do when you're Nick Ritchie. And as we've addressed, not a great defensive presence, takes some kind of foolish penalties, not like he's an offensive dynamo, notwithstanding that I saw him make a couple of remarkably good passes. He had won to Andre Kasha for a goal that was, like, almost seeing eye good. And I was like, you know, if there were more of this, you might be a better player. But I just think that Richie, unfortunately, was brought in to do one particular thing. He was given a great chance to do that thing. And through a combination of bad luck and lack of other options, he's blown the opportunity. You know, like, he can only really provide a certain amount of secondary scoring when he's not providing that. He's not worth it. And that's kind of what's happened to him. But on the upside, he's gonna get paid 3.3 million in salary next year. So mm. save your money, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, any last thoughts on poor Mr. Richie or none. Okay. Yeah, I think that's enough. Th- this one stings a little bit. Jason Spezza, 36 games played, six, seven goals, six assists, thirteen points. He's narrowly positive in the fancy stats, but his goals for has dropped as the year has gone on. Since December 1st, his numbers have been pretty rough. 47% of XG, 38% of goals was on the ice. Um, gotcha, what do you think?
0: Oh, I I took the easy way out and decided not to give him one grade because, because I split him in two, which I think mm. is valid. I gave him a D minus at five on five. I just think he's a, he's a, he's, he's just really bad at five on five. That's, that's just the way it is. He, and, and, and I gave him an A on special teams because he kind of is the second unit power play in some ways. You can put him on the first unit power play if you have to, and, and you're, you're not going to cry. So Mm -hmm. like, it's hard to complain about a player who brings those things especially when he plays, he plays, I think, probably, as long as Nick Ritchie's not on the team, the least number of minutes of five-on-five, five, and Keith really underplays the fourth line. So he can be bad, and it doesn't really matter. And And I think next year we're going to have a guy in a really sharp suit standing on the Leafs bench as an assistant coach, and that, you know, so I'm, I'm really fine with him. I'm not negative on him. But I think when people eye test him and they see him do something smart and sparkly with the puck offensively every once in a while, that overwhelms the real impression of him, which is that he's a large part of the reason why the fourth line has been kind of uh lately.
1: Yeah, and as you pointed out, Rick, um, Keith has responded to the fourth line dropping off by decreasing their time on ice significantly, right? So it's not just us kind of pointing it out from the from the, the, the side. Like, Keith is using the, the carrot that coaches have, which is time on ice, and is kind of responding uh, accordingly. I gave him a C, and basically my thought was that, like, other people stepping up and the offense from Kerfoot's line, although not necessarily from Kerfoot, like, due to Kerfoot specifically... Um, has kind of helped us gloss over the fact that the fourth line is kind of underwater at times, despite offensive usage. And it's it's really toted, as you alluded to with the discussion of Simmons as well, Katya, to the defense. The defense with the fourth line is, is troubling. Um, and especially without Engvall there, because uh, he's been moved up recently uh, at varying points, um, it, it, it's particularly difficult for them. You know, if Engvall can kind of help out simmons and spezza defensively um kyle clifford cannot to the same degree so yeah it's this is this is what happens when you have a player who's like what 37 38 years old there's still these touches of of brilliance right we, we alluded to that uh, touch pass he made in the first period yesterday for a streaking um pierre engball <laughs> <It's>, um <laughs> but like that that's that's a play that very few fourth liners have the capacity to make and Spezza still has that because it's just like the, the brain and the hands are as good as ever but the legs have gone and mm-hmm. you know that time comes for us all
2: yeah and I think that that's really the answer it's it's a lot like what we talked about with Wayne Simmons where you you still have these standout individual skills that you get glimpses of but the game on the whole is catching up with them. and unfortunately that's just Kind of what happens when you're 38 years old in the modern NHL. It's not a forgiving game. I gave him a C plus because I know in terms of expectations, I think he's kind of sneakily started to drop away from what we would have hoped. But we also said last summer, you know, Jason Spezza could show up to training camp and be washed and it wouldn't be really that far out of the question. We could just say, okay, finally it's happened. And he's still fended off old age a little bit. But yeah, you know, he's, he's on the downslope. He, I also agree with Katcha on, on this. He seems like a real obvious candidate for a coaching position. Possibly here, because the team loves him and he loves it here, but certainly somewhere. Um, yeah, so that's a bit of a downer. And then we have Ilya Mikheyev, who is newly returned. I set the minutes uh, requirement low just so I could get him in. We could have Ilya Mikheyev thoughts, because I think we're going to see more of him going forward. He's only played 11 games, but he has a whopping six goals and one assist for seven points in that period. He is second on the team in expected goals percentage. 63 and a half. He leads the team in goals per 60, which is very funny to think about. Uh, he has a personal shooting percentage just south of 21, or he did yesterday. So I'm sure that's sustainable. I've always thought that
1: the best shooters in the league were, were Leon Dreisaitl and Ilya Mikheyev.
2: Right? Like, they're 1-2 in some order. You can argue over who's 1 and who's 2, but yeah, it's those guys. You
1: can't stop William McHale. You can only hope to contain him.
2: <laughs> gotcha. What do you think?
0: Well, okay. I, I kind of refuse to give him a grade, because I, I just... It's just not enough minutes. It's just not enough games played to really... Like, I, I did an article about... Uh, just a silly little trivia article, really, about... Uh, What forwards are are actually leading the NHL in personal goal scoring because they've all played so many different numbers of games and and like Mikhaev is running away with that stat. So like come on (laughs) You know, it's a bit too small a sample but I tried did try to look at him seriously and said okay my big complaint about him from day one is that people have been talking about his gross goal scoring stats and ignoring kind of how few games there are in his first two seasons. And he didn't actually have a downturn in his in his, in his or an upswing or whatever people want to say he's done at various points through his career. He's been extremely consistent and consistently mediocre in terms of personal shooting. And, and his numbers right now this year and the shot locations look pretty McKay of normal not exceptional, not better, not like he's suddenly improved or anything like that. But he does eye test out maybe as being a little less precipitous with taking stupid shots, but that's like, you know, your eyes can't count. That could just be happenstance of when I've noticed him. He seems fun on the ice. If he was on the third line, there's a few of these guys on this team. All the time, that would probably be great. I don't think he's a top six player. And I don't think game in, game out with a grinding season, he's going to score in a way that kind of makes up for the blandness of the rest of his game. He's not bad in the PK. He's not useless. So, you know, he's he's a B minus, C plus kind of guy, I think. Arvin. Yeah, I mean...
1: The the stats are pretty ridiculous, as you said, um, but it's ten games, eleven games. So and this this is always the thing with McKeever; he has these like super hot stretches that encompass very small amounts of games for very long periods of time, uh, and it's hard to know what to make of it. He, again, he he is sandwiched between Nylander and Marner uh, in XG RAPM. Right, so again, having a very positive impact on the uh, lines he's been on, but it's eleven games. So does it, like, who knows? Effectively, um, I gave him an A minus as a result, but yeah, like, it, what he's done has been good. I expect him to be kind of the standard Oya Makayev, which is kind of a useful defensive third liner who will frustrate you with offensive decision making and a lack of passing. And I, I, yeah, playing him in the top six is still not something I'm super excited about.
2: I gave him a B+. Plus. Um, this is almost the inverse of the thing with Austin Matthews. Shooting is a part of Austin Matthews' game. We compare to that. Finishing weirdly badly is a big part of <laughs> Ilya Mikheyev's game normally, and right now that's not happening. This is absolutely the kind of uh, evaluation that you get when you include players with this few minutes of Mikheyev, so his point is well taken. There's not that much to go on. Arvin's point is also well taken. The numbers in that small sample are very good. Um, I think mostly he's the same guy uh, with a shooting heater baked in. Uh, I gave him the B plus because I'm like, well, it's better to score than not to score. And I can't dig him in general by saying he doesn't finish enough on his chances and then not reward him when he does finish a little bit. Mostly, you know, he's a good defensive player who is probably more convinced of his offensive value uh than i think most of the evidence would suggest he ought to be and i think that's also a factor in his apparent desire to play somewhere else where he'll get more offensive opportunities so we'll see how that works out for him next season welcome to edmonton <laughs> you too can be the first I, line winger
0: i think he's from eastern russia i think he'd handle it okay i think that's right i, I don't remember
2: the, the, right. yeah I, I think he could certainly handle the weather yeah I, I don't know about the media, but we'll see.
0: <laughs> he, doesn't know, he doesn't know what any of them are saying. Well, uh, you know what? That's and the best even even if he
1: does, he can pretend like he doesn't. Like, oh, yeah. Right. There, there's been stories about how uh, some, some. I think it's a lot of Russian players, but I'm sure other countries, other players from other nationalities have done this too, but like they pretend they're really, really crappy at English so they don't have to do media.
0: Oh, and Panarin does that for sure.
1: Yeah. And then like their teammates mm-hmm. are like, he, he speaks English completely fine. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't like talking to you.
2: <laughs> I would do that, too. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I mean, pretend to not speak English or have to talk to Steve Simmons. It's a pretty easy choice. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I expect Mikheyev to play a more prominent role going forward. I think Keith would prefer to play him over Pierre Engvall, who seems like a a similar type of player in a lot of respects. At least they're kind of competing for the same job. Um so good for McCabe in that respect. We'll see how he settles in next to David Kampf, where I expect him to stay. Um, I, again, I don't know how long you sustain great offensive numbers with David Kampf as your center, but yeah, I guess we'll find out. I
1: mean, if he does that, he deserves whatever contract he gets.
2: Yeah, yeah. Get, get your $5 million wherever you can, man. Um, okay, so that's the 13 forwards I thought were worth discussing. I didn't think that there was a major point in us trying to you know, read the tea leaves on Kyle Clifford based
0: on a tiny sample. Any other thoughts, Katja? Um, I think we really adequately described um, what's missing in the Leafs in terms of forwards. I, I, I think we kind of drew a picture in, in the negative space there. I, I don't think there's really much they can do about it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of have fantasy traded for JT Miller in my mind because well, I I don't necessarily personally like him. I think he probably would bring exactly what the Leafs need. You plop him on the left wing on one of those top lines, and and you know the the trickle down effects of who you then move off and all that kind of stuff are are also pluses. It just it, you know it just becomes a plus plus plus. But I don't think that can be done. But yeah, that that's sort of my depressing thought. I think there's some, I think. I think Kyle won some bats, and I think Kyle's out of chips. Hmm.
2: This is kind of what he's got at, at forward. Mm-hmm. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Maybe he'll pull a rabbit out of a hat and get us Thomas Hurdle, but I... <laughs> that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> It'd be a big rabbit. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I,
0: I don't think that's gonna happen.
2: No, probably not.
0: Maybe we'll uh, get Riley else? Nash again.
2: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, it worked so well the first time. I mm-hmm. do not want to mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah I mean
1: in general, the forwards for the Leafs have been have been good um uh, mm-hmm. but yeah there's there's definitely still room for improvement, and you compare it to to Tampa or to Florida, and you can feel a little inadequate about parts of of our forward roster,
0: yeah,, mm-hmm. but you can put twelve of them on the ice, use them in an intelligent way <clears throat> and and You've got a good, very good forward core. You've got a, you've got a, you've made a team that can win most games.
1: Hmm.
0: So, yeah, for, like, yeah. it's kind yeah. of hard to complain about that aspect. So,
1: yes.
2: Um, yeah, it's just a team whose strength are, are forwards, and you know, I think they can quite fairly say they're not out close, uh, sorry, outclassed by anybody. You know, they're they're certainly in the conversation with Tampa and Florida and Colorado in forward ability. It's just they're a little top heavy. They're reliant on some things happening in the playoffs that did not happen consistently in the past in terms of top line production or second line production. And we're also conscious that there are some defensive weaknesses uh, where we stack up less well against the Tampa Bays and Colorados of the world.
1: Mm -hmm. So pretty much. Um, So on that note, we can probably uh, finish up. Uh, Katya, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on as always.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, and, yeah, you can catch all of mine and Fuleman and, frankly, mostly Katya's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. <laughs> um, do you want to plug your Twitter quickly, Katya?
0: Not really. I don't say much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't.
2: Uh, yeah. That's I, a problem that I have. Yeah. <laughs> I said too much.
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't. My, my mom keeps telling me I should tweet more. Um, and she's, she's like, Fuleman has such funny tweets. Why don't you have funny tweets? I'm like, I'm not as funny as Fulman, Okay, mom, I'm sorry. Oh, no, she reads them.
2: <laughs> oh i've said Um, some stuff um (laughs) oh well tell her it's very kind of her to say so yeah i'm definitely not embarrassed um (laughs) yeah you can
1: catch all of mine and fuleman's uh tweets at rv and at fuleman respectively
0: thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week